So we'll start at verse 14 of chapter 6. Going back to uh, verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God and we saw also that uh, it had corrupted his way in verse 12. The flesh had corrupted God's way upon the earth. And so we go on to uh, verse 13 where God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms, the, the, the word is nests actually, which is quite nice actually, nests. Uh, it gives a feeling of comfort, doesn't it? Uh, Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower second and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing, of all flesh, too of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. And they shall be male and female. Of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of creeping things of the earth after, the, after his kind, two of every sort shall come into, unto thee to keep them alive. And, thou, and take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him so did he. I think that's a great verse, actually. He did everything that God commanded him to do. Everything. He didn't leave out anything. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And that's been our theme on these little talks which we've been having. And we have been thinking about various things, and we're going to talk a while about the ark. You know, Noah, we saw last week, was a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. That's all that God demands of you and me, to be righteous and to preach righteousness. And righteousness, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. The Spirit of Christ, it said, preached through Noah. And let's look at First Peter. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. We looked at this briefly last week and I just wanted to go over it again before we carried on. And it's good that some of you perhaps were not here last week, so we'll just look at it. 
in First uh, Peter chapter three and verse eighteen. For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ rose from the dead. He was quickened by the Spirit. And it says, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. It says the, the Christ also suffered for sins. He suffered for you and for me and died upon the cross so that he might bring us to God. And it says then, by which spirit he went and preached through Noah unto the spirits now in prison. I put those in because I think that explains this verse a little bit better than I could in other words. It says, by which spirit he went and preached through Noah unto the spirits now in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. The people, God waited 120 years. My spirit shall not always strive with man. God's spirit was striving with the people in Noah's day, and he waited and he waited, and it said, during that time, his spirit through Noah, Christ preached to these people. Righteousness, that's what he taught them. Noah was a preacher of right. Get right with God, get right with God. But they didn't, they disobeyed. And what happened? They are now awaiting the final judgment. They're in prison. Christ was preached through Noah in those days. And they refused to listen. And that's what's happening these days. People won't listen. They won't listen to what has to be said. And just I, I just put this in as well last week, and we'll just go over it again. If you go to, on to verse <clears throat> 21, it says, The like figure... Where unto even they were saved. Let's read uh, verse 20. When sometimes were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you read that verse, uh, you, you would say eight souls were saved by water the like, like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us I was talking to a guy in a bookshop a few years ago and he said oh there we are that's how you're saved they were saved by baptism <clears throat> but listen it's important to look at this verse because people will produce this verse to you now and again as a proof that the Bible says wherein baptism now saves us. But what saved Noah and his family? Was it the water? No, that spoke of death and judgment. It was the ark that saved them from destruction. They had faith in the ark. It wasn't the water that saved them. And that's a wrong interpretation of this verse. 
Baptism in water does not save the soul. It speaks of death. Going down into death. As Christ went down into death and rose again for you and for me. When we're baptized it's a figure of being going down into death. And rising with him in new life. Baptism in water does not save the soul. But faith in the Lord Jesus. His death, burial and resurrection does. That is what baptism is a figure of. That is how we may have a good conscience towards God. And sadly, you know, we look out on the world. The work of Satan in corrupting this doctrine. And that's all we can say. Putting the figure in place of the substance. And producing evil doctrines of baptismal regeneration. And infant baptism. Claiming thereby to become what does the catechism say? Members of Christ and children of God. Who gave you this name? My godfathers and godmothers in my baptism. Wherein I was made a member of Christ, a child of God and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. That's what it says. Probably put in a modern look on it, but that's what the old catechism said when we were kids we used to learn it. You see, we have to look now at the ark as being a type of Christ. That's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. The ark as a type of Christ. <clears throat> now before we go on. I put this in as well. We're using these things like the ark and water. They're all types pictures in the Old Testament to give us an indication of what is going to happen in the New Testament now we don't base our, the our doctrine on types but they explain doctrine if we were going to go strictly if we look at Enoch and Noah and we've said this before we would be that Enoch who walked with God and was taken up. Enoch is a figure of the church. Taken away before evil reaches its climax. And before the, the divine judgment falls. God took Enoch away. Noah is a figure of the remnant of Israel. Who shall be brought through the tribulation waters of affliction and judgment out into the millennium the new world that's what really the, the typology if you're going to be strict in accordance with God's everlasting covenant to his people and if you look at Lot Lot was taken out of Sodom before the judgment came Rahab was taken out of Jericho before the judgment came and she, she was a Gentile which is a good picture she wasn't Jewish she was a Gentile and she was taken out like the Gentile church but there we are. We're going to look at, it, at the ark, but as a type of Christ, uh, which is also uh, justifiable, I think. And I thought I'd put a few figures up here, just a few facts about the ark, and put it into sort of modern-day sizes. Assuming a cubit is 25 inches, apparently, which... Uh, 
I, I was always told it was about 19 inches, but it doesn't matter. Assuming it's 25 inches, which this chap did, it was 625 feet long, which is huge. You think of 100 yards, you run 100 yards. It's a long distance. Well, it was twice that, you know. It was nearly 200 meters long. It was 32 feet wide, 104 feet wide, 32 meters wide, and 62 feet high. It was the largest ship until 1850 that had ever been built. Incredible. Up until 1932, less than 1% of all the ships were larger. Only less than 1% were ever larger than the Ark. The chap had worked out that it could have held 630 foot containers. And if you put 630 foot containers end to end, it takes about four miles, all queuing up waiting to get in. So it was, um, it was, uh, there was ample room in it for plenty of stuff. God said, you know, it must have been a terrible shock to Noah. Do you ever think of that? You know, start with, he's, God said, I'm going to destroy everybody. That must have been a bigger shock. But he said, oh, by the way, you're going to build an ark out of gopher wood. We don't know what gopher wood is. It doesn't matter. But God said to Noah, you're going to build an ark. And you know, it's, it's great about the ark. I think, I think the thing. The interesting thing was that we don't read of Noah ever saying anything, making excuses. We read that verse at the end of the chapter. He did everything God told him to. Such a difference from, from even people like Noah, like Moses. You know, the, when Moses was told, look on to uh, Exodus 4. God had appeared to, to, to Moses and he was directing him that he should go back to Pharaoh and uh, act on behalf of the children of Israel and on behalf of God. And in Exodus uh, 4 verse 10, he said, O Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. But God said, Who made the tongue? What are you talking about? Who made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? He said, I, I can't do this. I'm not a good speaker. And God said, I'm in control. And that's what we need to remember. When God gives us uh, a, a job to do, he'll give us the wherewithal to do it. But Noah, we never read of Noah making excuses. Another thing which I thought was interesting, maybe, perhaps. If you go back to, to Genesis 6. Uh, back, back to Genesis 4. Just a few pages back. You'll see that there were many people around Noah at that time. And we had that chart, do you remember, who was alive when... when uh, when Noah was alive. And lots of these people were still alive. And if you go back to chapter 4, you'll find that there were plenty of people around who were probably better qualified at building an ark than Noah was. We have uh, in verse 17, Enoch. This is a different Enoch than the one further on. And he was a property developer. He built a city. 
And then go on uh, to verse 20. Your man Jabal. And he was the father of all that dwell in tents. And he was a cattle rancher. And then his brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of all that played musical instruments. He was, a, a, he was art, artistic and he could play the organ and the harp. And then uh, there was a woman called Zila, And she bare Tubal-Cain. And he was an instructor in all that made ironwork and brasswork and all that. There were lots of people around who were well qualified to build an ark. And in verse 6, verse 4, we saw that there were men of renown. Now, we don't know what Noah's job was. But we do know that he was a preacher of righteousness. And that was the only qualification that God needed. For to do the task that he wanted them to do. God looks at the person's relationship with him rather than the qualifications that he might have. He will provide the wherewithal for you to do a task if he asks you to do it. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He walked with God. That's all we have to do, but it's the most difficult thing, isn't it? To be preachers of righteousness, to walk with God, and to find favor with God. Now, go back to verse uh, chapter 6 again, and verse 14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without. Thou shalt pitch it within. Now the word for pitch is the same word that is used throughout scripture for atonement. You heard of Yom Kippur and the day of atonement. And where atonement is used, it's the same word that is used for pitch. Let's look at Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4. And verse 13. And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through ignorance, and the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which should not be done, and are guilty. When the sin which they have sinned against is, is known, then the congregation shall offer a bull, bullock for the sin and bring him before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands upon the head of the bullock before the Lord, and the bullock shall be killed before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall bring of the bullock's blood to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord, even before the veil. And he shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar which is before the Lord, that is in the tabernacle of the congregation. And shall pour out all the blood at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering 
which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall take all his fat from him and burn it upon the altar. And he shall do with the bullock as he did with the bullock for the sin offering. So shall he do with this. And the priest shall make an atonement, a covering, a reconciliation with God for them. And it shall be forgiven them. And he shall carry forth the bullock without the camp and burn him as he burned the first bullock. It is a sin offering for the congregation. Go over to Hebrews chapter 13. We have an altar whereof we have whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp, outside the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, that he might set the people apart for him, for him and his purpose alone, might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. That sacrifice was a sample, an example of what was going to happen to our Lord Jesus Christ, a type. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bear, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We're only pilgrims down here. Let us then go and identify with him completely. He identified with that sin offering. It was burnt without the camp. He went outside the camp when he bore our sins. When he bore our sins to reconcile us to God. Look at Romans chapter 5. Uh, verse 8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. When the atonement was put on the inside and the outside of the ark, that pitch, it saved those people from the wrath of God which was outside, beating against the ark, but they were safe inside because of the atonement. They were at one with God. At one, atonement, at one with God. Much more then, being now justified by, by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Isn't that? It's a wonderful picture. The picture of the ark. And that word there, atonement, at the back of my Bible, it says, a change, a change or rec reconciliation from a state of enmity to one of friendship. Isn't that lovely? 
we were at a state of enmity with God, but through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the atonement, we are changed to one of friendship. It is the result of redemption, the divine act of salvation, the ceasing of God's wrath. Christ, when he died on the cross, he suffered the wrath of God. But because of the atonement, we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. That pitch that was put there on the walls of the ark saved the people from the wrath of God. It's a wonderful picture for us this morning. This indicates that those who entered the ark came under the cover of the death and blood of Christ. We were made at one with God, walking in newness of life. We have the picture in Exodus, don't we? The people put the blood on the two sides and on the top lintel of the door. And God said that when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When the people were within the ark, the atonement, the waters didn't touch them. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, everyone who would seek shelter within that ark would be convinced that the world was under judgment, wouldn't they? Else they wouldn't have gone in. And that's why most people didn't go in, because they didn't believe that the world that they lived in at that time was under judgment. When we realize that we are under the judgment of God, then we can be preserved under the cover of the death of Christ by being in him. We, the Bible talks a lot about being in Christ. And that's the same as Noah was in the ark. There it is. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now another interesting thing was that the pitch was on the inside. If you look, it says in verse 14, And thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. The pitch was inside and out. We are covered by the death of Christ. His blood shed for each one of us. We're clothed in his righteousness. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That clothes us on the outside. We do not have to bear the wrath of God. And we're indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. By his Holy Spirit indwelling us. The pitch was on the outside and on the inside we said that Jesus, uh, God said when I see the blood I will pass over you the blood saved the people from the wrath of God people have a, a, a you hear it 
a bit nowadays, just by the way, that when they're going into a situation where they think there's going to be problems, they say they oh, claim the blood for protection. But the blood protected the people of Israel from the wrath of God. That's what the blood did. If we want protection going into situations, the Holy Spirit is greater in us than is in the world. Blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from the and saves us from the wrath of God. And when we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, then we have that power within us against the wiles of the evil one and Satan. Let's go on. Here's the thing. A window shalt thou make in the ark. A window. God said put a window in it. Now, there are lots of talks about windows in the ark and a cubit shalt thou finish it above. But listen, let's be, it, it doesn't mean that. A cubit, an 18 inch, a 23 inch size window in the roof of the ark and all those hundreds of animals and Noah and all the excrement and manure and stuff had to get out through that little window. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But you know, it's nice thoughts. People have it that all the rain was coming down and they could only look up at God uh, through the window. But you know, it doesn't mean that. I'm convinced of that. I looked at it a lot in the last few days. A window shelter I make in the ark. Now the window, the word for window, I don't know what it is. It's used 24 times. And once it is called window, and the other 23 times it's translated noon, noonday, or midday. And it gives the impression to represent full light of day. Full light of day. Uh, Isaiah 58 is a good one just to, to look at, to, to, just to, to give you the way it's used. Isaiah 58 and verse uh, 10. <clears throat> and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. That's the same word there, noonday, as translated window in Genesis. The picture is, when we come to Christ, the divine light of his presence is there for us. When we come to him, the divine light of the presence of God is there. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And that window in the ark was a picture of the divine light which was there for those who were secure inside. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into their hearts. We, when we become Christians, we're enlightened by the divine light of Christ in our lives a wonderful verse there in Revelation there shall be no night there and they need no candle neither light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light the Lord God giveth them the heat. that was the true light which cometh in 
which lighteth every man which cometh into the world. A picture of how when we become Christians and we're secure in Christ, we have the light shining within us. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And finally, and thou shalt put a door. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. And it was going to have three stories inside. It was going to have three decks. Two massive decks. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. Such a wonder, wonderful picture. The, how the people got into the ark. They went in through the door. John 10. Jesus speaking. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I am the door. The door. The door. There are no other doors. There was only one door into the ark. Only one door through which these people entered. Through which the animals entered. There is only one way to God and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The door also speaks to us of a door of opportunity. This door is still open to the people in the world. The door of opportunity is still there. And it was open for the people in Noah's day. But they didn't go in. They wouldn't go in. They wouldn't believe. God said, in those days, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And that's the same. That door of opportunity won't always be there for men. And we have to warn people about that. And we look at that next week or so, about that door through which the people entered into the ark. Remember the light of the world is Jesus. He is the light. There's a good verse actually, an, an interesting verse, they're all good verses. In, in talking about the light, just going back a little bit. When Jesus was presented in the temple by Mary and Joseph, do you remember old Simeon? Simeon came. And he was there, and he'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. God had said to him, you won't die until you see my salvation. Until the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah. What a wonderful way to, to live his life. And that's the way we should be. We should be living our lives in, in the expectation of the rapture. That we'll be raptured out of this place. But he said... <coughs> 
Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. What a wonderful uh, revelation this man had. This little baby was brought in and he says, this is the light that's going to lighten the Gentiles, you and me. And that it's going to be the glory. This person, this man, this baby is going to be the, the glory of thy people Israel. That still holds good. That still holds good. Jesus is the light of the world to lighten you and me, to enlighten us, and to lighten our way day by day. If we live by the word. What does the scripture say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our paths. May we follow him. And may we be prepared to tell people that the door of opportunity will not always be there. But now is the day, except the time. Now is the day of salvation.